When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to The Daily Briefing. It's September 14th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me is Tony Greer of TG Macro. The theme of the markets today, a rethink of reflation. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury fell down to 1.26% at its low after consumer prices rose a less than expected one-tenth of 1% in August. That's the smallest increase since February. Now, to be clear, the year-on-year is still north of 5% on the headline, 4% on core, which excludes food and energy. But it's the pace and the direction that investors were watching today. And that month-on-month reading just wasn't as high as some had feared, supporting those that had been arguing that the inflation that we're seeing is transitory or temporary in nature. U.S. stocks move lower. The Dow down nearly 1%. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ down around a half percent. Uh, and Tony, is this the beginning of the end of the reflation trade, or do you think that the economy and prices are going to surprise on the upside? What was your take on this? Oh, God forbid. Don't say the end of the reflation trade, Maggie, please. The end of the reflation trade is when we stop expanding the balance sheet, and that's not happening anytime soon, right? This, is a, this to me, is a very, very navigable pullback. Um, it's, worth, it's worth analyzing, though, because it comes with you know five consecutive negative days in the S&P, we're coming off a one and a half percent loss last week in the S&P, while that is generally followed by a rebound week right here. As you see on our screens today, we see prices under pressure again. So this sell off has got a little bit of a sneaky element to it. And I mean sneaky, whereby all of a sudden we are creeping lower to the 50 day moving average in the S&P, whereas all of the prior dips to the 50 day have been a really steep spike down and a quick return. So this is a little bit of a different pace heading down to that level. We usually see really steep tick index prints on the low extremes, greater than 1,500, sometimes as big as 2,000 on the negative side during a sell-off. During this last week, we've only seen maximum extreme tick indexes of minus 1,300 or so. So it doesn't feel like that typical waterfall off of a headline It just feels like some deterioration from the highs and an orderly pullback. So I'm going to treat it a little bit differently. And I'm actually going to be, believe it or not, I'm acting a little bit more cautiously on this pullback as it is more orderly than the last several. If you recall the last several, they've been that same formula. Several three or four days on the downside, a red to green day and a recovery really quickly. This has a little bit more of um, a war of attrition Um, feel to it as different sectors kind of weigh on the S&P at different times. So I'm taking a look at this at a little bit differently, if you don't mind that. Yeah. So does that feel like it's got more downside to go if it's happening in this orderly way? It certainly that has crossed my mind, you know, because when the spikes stop being steep in price and short in duration where they come back right away, 
you're going to eventually get to a level where we're going to have a breakdown that's going to be a little bit steeper than everyone thought. Eventually, we've got to visit the 100-day moving average, for example. You know, just on a sort of technical uh, dynamics basis, we're going to get oversold at the highs. We're going to, excuse me, overbought at the highs. We're going to get oversold down there. And then I think the markets can get on their feet from a level. There's certainly plenty of exciting trades going on in the markets, even though the S&P is backing off a, a couple basis points a day lately. Yeah. What, what are we are we seeing anything in terms of rotation? I felt like we've been talking a lot. Uh, uh, many of our guests are re we're really thinking about moving into some of the energy space, uh, financials. We heard people talking about industrials, you know, on the idea that we were sort of perhaps entering a new period. Is that is that, uh, you know, in question now? That's a great question. It, Maggie, it really is a great question because I've been had re I've had a really difficult time getting a handle on the rotation in the past four to six weeks. I would say, you know, it hasn't been a clear sort of lockdown rotation where technology gets going and the cyclicals back off and energy gets hit. It hasn't been a clear cyclical rotation where you know transportation stocks and retail stocks, financials, industrials are rallying and sort of tech is taking a backseat with yields rising. Mm -hmm. We haven't really seen that. Um, the bond market today, the credit markets, market-based inflation expectations have done very little. Even in reaction or non-reaction, we can say to the CPI data today, break-even five-year is either side of 2.5%. Choose 10's curve, five's bonds curve. Doesn't matter which segment you look at. It's kind of surfing sideways and consolidating right now. 10-year yields, they're one and a quarter bit at 140. Somebody wake me up if that range breaks and I'll listen. <laughs> but, right, you know, but right now, it doesn't seem to be, you know, it sounds like we're going to need a really serious economic beat or miss to sort of jar the treasuries out of this range. And I usually start to, you know, you usually feel like the S&P gets comfortable with seeing the same um, treasury bond prices and the same curve prices and usually can get a little bit of a rally going. It seems like a couple of trades have gotten ahead of themselves. And, um, you know, for example, Apple, Apple iPhone, you know, Apple just rallied to a new high. They've got the iPhone 13 reveal going on. My friend Tom Thornton is jumping up and down about exhaustion signals that I'm paying very close attention to. Obviously, if Apple starts failing here in a sort of, you know, new product reveal type of basis and then trades lower, I'm going to be concerned about that because we just recently saw Fang take a sort of leadership role once again as soon as everybody was talking about the Delta variant. And it, it seemed like Fang kind of cooled off immediately when the UK canceled their vaccine passports. And there's been a lot of very formal pushback against the vaccination mandate here in the US. So I think markets are trying to get a read on that right now, quite honestly. Are we going leaping past the vaccine mandate idea or, or are we going to be mired in that idea the way we were mired in the lockdown idea? So this is the sort of narratives that I'm trying to sniff out from the markets. I don't have a crystal clear answer today, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm spending a lot of time still in the commodity markets, to be quite honest with you, Maggie. I feel like, you know, uh, the stock story might be a boring couple percent pullback here. But in the background, we've got a natural gas story. We've got a uranium story. When you start, start talking about energy and power with me. You know, my eyes light up because yeah. these, are the, these are the trades that can really drive and be sustainable underneath whatever happens in the S&P.
Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like over the I don't know if I've talked more about commodities over the last two weeks than I than than I can remember. I mean, you know, obviously so many stars are kind of lining up for that. But but I just talked to Ms. Schneider and she said, if you don't know about commodities, now's the time to learn. Just before we get into some of the nitty gritty on that, are we where where are we in this sort of uh inflation or commodity cycle. I hear a lot of people starting to talk about commodity super cycle again. I haven't heard that in a really long time. I mean, are we looking at a broad theme like that? Or is this just a lot of momentum in these individual markets that people are jumping on because they can't get clarity in some of the other trades they might want to put on? Great question and a great way of phrasing it. Um, I, I think broadly speaking, Maggie, from 30,000 feet up, if you look at the commodity markets, We've been pricing in falling commodities and deflation for a decade. In my opinion, the year that we took the Fed balance sheet from four trillion to seven trillion, that trend changed. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, and we're not—I'm well, not—you know—we're not out of the woods. I'm not putting a, a, a stake in the sand and saying it's never going to change. But in my opinion, that's what it looked like, right? Bloomberg Commodities Index has a really beautiful technical bottom put in at the March lockdown lows, right? We've rallied out of that. And the commodity story, whether anybody likes it or not, is still very much intact, even though there's a reason to sort of sell some rocks at some of the rallies here and say, okay, this this commodity might be done for now. I understand that. But broadly speaking, when we are still living in a commodity world where major commodities like copper, oil, aluminum, natural gas are steeply backwardated, there is steady demand, which we have across markets. And now we've got this bottleneck, um, you know, dynamic overlay of the commodity tightness. And that's only going to cause more inflationary type action. I saw a number today in the Wall Street Journal. There are 56 container ships anchored off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach as of Sunday, September 13th, breaking the old or Monday, September 13th, breaking the old record of 55 said a week ago. So this is a constant thing now where we're having bigger and bigger bottlenecks. It feels like a more constant thing where we're having situations like, for example, in aluminum, in natural gas, in uranium, where commodities are you know, really starting to go parabolic and the end users are trying to navigate this kind of price action, right? We saw LME aluminum tap $3,000 this week, earlier this week on the dead ball high. That's a number we haven't seen in 10 years or so. Right. The price, a lot of it is being caused by, um, you know, the energy curbs in China. That story filters across to the EU, where there are also energy curbs being put in place, filters across into the UK, where we're seeing sort of an energy shortage and natural gas prices rallying dramatically. So with this whole thing underlying the S&P and the commodity story, it's easy for a guy like me to stay bullish and to stay in this commodity reflation type of trade. So now with that, I'm talking very much about the commodity inflation and not necessarily, you know, the inflationary data. I'm not really an expert on that. I can't tell you what CPI is going to do, but Mm -hmm. I can tell you what the narrative that I continue to pick up around the markets is that prices for end users are going to keep rising because this, the inflation story, the bottleneck story, None of it really seems transitory to me. I mean, we've been talking about whether or not it's transitory for months now. We've got sustainable 5% CPI. We've got PPI on a 7% or 8% handle now. I mean, this is, this is the story, 
right? We've got commodities trading to new highs, aluminum, natural gas trading, historic levels. Um, and everything is really going according to Federal Reserve's plan, because when you look up at gold, either side of 1800, not really moving, it's not getting anybody excited about the inflation story. It's not sounding any alarms on the Federal Reserve's, um, you know, constant um, building of the balance sheet and monetization. So even though there's a taper conversation going on. So for me, this S&P trade uh, pullback is very navigable and so far very garden variety. And I'm letting the commodity story really shine through underneath if that's there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we've, we've talked about oil before too. I, I was interested today, definitely noted on, on the, the ship bill. We just see the supply chain disruptions uh, continue. China locking down another major city. I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but that's only going to exacerbate it. And, you know, when you're looking out for resolution, it's going to be months and months. But if you're in that camp that says this is transitory, I mean, we can all debate about what that time frame means but that this is being caused by something like the, you know, the, the shipping issues and shipping delays and another hurricane hitting the Gulf Coast. Be interested yeah. to hear what, what you think about production there. But I, but I was really interested in OPEC coming out with a really bullish call on oil that seemed to go beyond some of the supply disruptions and maybe talk about some of those larger issues you're talking about. I mean, they're talking about a major energy crunch in summer 2022 that that seems like they think this is going to stick around for a while yeah i thought that was you know i i got some clients into a little bit more energy risk basis um the energy markets performance yesterday and i was talking mostly about the spider exploration and production etf which is xop um but you know when opec comes out and they raise demand forecasts um you know above their previous levels they're saying, you know, 2019 global demand was around 100.3 million barrels a day. When we come out of the pandemic in 2022 into the recovery, we're going to be well beyond that, right? So to me, that was an incremental, hey, we're, go we're not just getting back to pre-pandemic levels now. We are looking beyond pre-pandemic levels. So I think that's a combination of the world figuring out that we've got a green agenda paired up with this cyclical recovery, whatever sort of length of time or intensity it's going to be, and that's going to play into the commodity prices directly, right? So it's like, you know, tell the people that are paying $400, or excuse me, 400 pounds per kilowatt hour for electricity in the UK that this is transitory. That's usually 40 pence per kilowatt hour. So prices in electricity have gone utterly berserk. It has a lot to do with them curbing or trying to curb, you know, energy emissions along the way. And it feels to me like the energy markets are kind of catching wind of this. You know, the fossil fuel markets are waking up, natural gas printing a new high, WTI back above 70, Brent crude oil, you know, spreads are still firm in backwardation. And so the story there in oil is still really, really consistent for the long term that we look like we're heading toward higher prices. And to me, that's the that's the sort of beat of the pulse underneath the market that I think is going to continue to be the one that shines through through these dips and things like that. Yeah, it's, uh, you've mentioned the, the sort of green agenda and the influence it's having on commodities before. When we look at the commodity price action, uh, 
given given the influence that that might have um, and, and the increase in demand that's going to be needed across the commodity space, even as we transition and try to transition away from fossil fuels and some of the strains there, can that support a, a you know a bullish position in commodities, regardless of what happens on the on the global growth front, on the economic? Because the thing no one's sure about, and what there seems to be an enormous amount of disagreement about, is where we are uh, on the recovery. Right, a lot of the sort of bullish forecasts for growth were about the fact that we would come out of this with all the fiscal stimulus, with all the the measures that were put in place, and that. We're getting a little delta hit now, but that kind of global recovery is still in place. But, you know, you start to look at some of the some of the factors coming in that we've seen and people that's starting to fray a little bit. And there are other people kind of think that we're that the recovery is going to fade. We're going to see weaker and weaker prints. Are you watching the global economic story as much for your commodity forecast as you are that sort of climate part? Yeah, you know, you've got to stay lockstep with, you know, GDP, for example, and make sure that we're not sliding off the scale anywhere. You know, that, that's obviously going to be the probably the heart of what's driving the commodity demand. Um, the pivot to the green agenda as as aggressive and as, you know, desperately swift as it seems to be um, with the Biden administration just kind of, you know, ups the ante, you know, trying to pull us carbon neutral by by 2020, as the president suggested, or, you know, more realistically, by 2030, those are there's going to be a cost associated with that. And like I've said before, you know, we are walking into this green agenda with a massive um, grocery list of commodities that we're going to need from lithium to cobalt to um, rare earths, right, to aluminum, to copper, zinc and the the, um, you know, traditional base metals. We are walking into the, um, you know, inventory supply store to buy all these commodities and the shelves are kind of bare, yeah. but we're pivoting into the green agenda anyway. So we don't really care what price. All at the paying. same time, by the way, all globally, up, all at globally. the same time, China too, which is super important because you can disagree with whether they're in lockstep with the rest of the world, but they have put this at the top of their agenda, economic agenda as well. Believe, you know, Thank you can take that at face value, but. Absolutely. But it's all important that everybody is, you know, trying to visibly, you know, it's funny, you can read, you can read, um, you know, great, this great article by Tariq Fancy, who was BlackRock's like, you know, ESG, um, CIO. Nonsense, right? Well, you know, yeah, he's, he was very clear about it. It's like, you know, they found a new toy to play with. That's going to be a new way to market everything. And I feel like they kind of know that it's really not going to save the world, but they look at each other and they say, we're going to make a lot of money, so we're going to do this anyway, okay? Right? Like, is that fair? Right? Okay, everyone, right? It's not going to work, but we're going to make a lot of money, all right? So let's go. And, you know, we're going to figure out our way after it. As we get to the, you know, as we get to the deadlines, we'll push those out. We'll repackage it as a new something. And so, you know, you kind of get you get frustrated about seeing and hearing that from inside yeah. players, certainly, just kind yeah. of pulling the kimono back on Larry Fink and saying, and, Larry... Yeah. You know, Larry doesn't like oil. He wants oil to go away. So we're going to make oil go away. All right. He, he, he is. A, he is. A, he's got a lot of attention and it's super interesting to have that conversation. There, he's one voice. There are a lot of others. Um, I talked to a lot of people in the sustainability space, and I, I don't know if everyone would agree with that. And there's certainly a lot of things going on. But you're right that it is a, a trend that we have to watch and a little one that may be a little distinct when you're looking at the commodity space from uh, what's going on, on on the growth side, if you were just going, going to pin it to that. I want to talk a little bit more specifically. We have some questions. People always asking about uranium and some of the metals now because they're they're trading in that. There's been so much momentum. But before we do that, you know, the idea of how 
how do you trade around that the green revolution and alternative energy and the technologies? These are all the kinds of things that are coming up at the SALT conference that's taking place um, in New York, that hedge fund conference hosted by Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scarmucci. We all know who he is. Um, it's underway. They're actually in person uh, for the first time since COVID, although I'm sure some of it's virtual as well. Um, and they've got the usual you know, heavy hitters that are talking about their investment themes and the latest innovations. Uh, and of course, alternative investments. And you can imagine what's dominated, dominating everything having to do with blockchain, DeFi and the like. So who better to send there than Ash Bennington to get the latest buzz? Uh, here's a snippet of what he's been watching. Thanks, Maggie. As you can probably hear in the background, we're doing this guerrilla style right in the middle of the conference. Directly in front of me is a lunch uh, with the keynote being given by Paris Hilton, talking about uh, obviously some things in the digital asset space, things that are happening here right now. Here are the two big themes for me, the two key takeaways that I think people really need to know about. Number one, hedge funds are back. Obviously, hedge fund performance very strong this year, capital flowing into those investment products. Uh, you know, as we know, it's very much a trend following strategy. Things that are performing well attract capital. Right now, it's kind of a hedge fund environment. Clearly, volatility is back if you look at a 12 month chart of the VIX. Uh, also, some political change uh, with the new administration. And additionally, the teasing of the central banks, particularly the Fed, with withdrawing the taper. So it's a good time for macro. But here is the other theme that I think people really need to know about the striking thing. Uh, some might say the shocking thing uh, about SALT this year is the overwhelming preponderance of digital assets, blockchain, crypto technology uh, that is on display here everywhere. I did a bit of a count yesterday. Approximately 50% of the speeches here at SALT were on the crypto side. When you walk around visibly, you can see the booths, you can see the exhibitors, you can see people and hear people talking about crypto wherever you go. And we'll be hearing more of Ash's uh, commentary and opinions about what he saw there, as well as the guests who are going to be coming through Real Vision as well. So we'll keep you up to date on all of that um, and on the exchange as well. Um, I want to, Tony, want to pop back to aluminum uh, very quickly. You know, what are you looking at, at in terms of the price action there? I know we mentioned it briefly before, but um, people asking about about that. What are, what are you expecting? What, what, have, have we seen a top? I mean, we've seen such a big, quick move. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing trade dynamics play out on the screen, right? Like there, there's been a, a serious run of physical buying in aluminum. You know, the prices are being driven up by, um, you know, producers across producer areas trying to cut down on, you know, energy consumption, carbon emissions, the whole thing. So that seems like something that's going to be with us, right? We're going to be, we're going to continue to, me, you know, measure carbon emissions. The whole thing, the move to net zero is going to be part of the conversation. So that is going to be, you know, rising commodity prices, the rising price of aluminum is going to be part of the conversation. When it trades up to a historic level on the charts in a straight line, you know, there are more than one sharp aluminum traders out there that may have been riding along through this whole thing mm -hmm. and say, you know what, up at this level, we're going to let them have all the aluminum that we've been carrying at this price and see how the market feels. And so the market takes on that aluminum and maybe has to hand it out at, at lower prices if there's a seller right at the highs at 3K. But what happens is we reach an equilibrium again and we get the same set of demand players on the buy side online in the aluminum market saying, OK, I need more aluminum, so let's go. And so I feel like we get to these overbought levels where everybody's a little bit too long you run into a major seller at a major technical level, 
and, you know, you take some of the heat off of the rally. I think we're seeing that, you know, we could, we're going to see that at some point in natural gas, although we haven't seen it yet. We're still going through a historic level in $5 per million uh, billion cubic feet, excuse me. So if we get through these next levels, through 3000 in LME aluminum, through $5 in natural gas, you can bet that there's going to be another rally on the other side of that. So those are the things that I look forward to happening, and I'm totally prepared and patient enough to wait through all of the back and fill trading, right? Like as, as we, you know, as I navigate my readers into these markets, it's always, you know, identifying the trade and then identifying the level that we're interested in the trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by hook or by crook, if we're patient enough, and not to say that it's the right idea or at the right level, but we get our chance, you know, and we get our chance on our terms at our price. And if you're patient enough and can wait for those opportunities, <clears throat> you can very much get right in the flow of the commodity rally. And then you can be one of the guys that's sitting there long for the next parabolic rally. And I think that that's the way that you've got to think about this and probably not in a way of a reversion to the mean trader, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking oil is going to go back to 40 and LME copper is going to go back down to 7K and, you know, Iron ore is going to go back to 500 won per metric ton. That is not likely to happen. That would Interesting. be Interesting. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We yeah. have a question. We have some really great questions. I want to get through some of them because we're really, really good today. Um, JP asking, uh, do you think the rising dollar, rising oil price and rising nat gas price will kill demand? Um, that's a relevant point, you know, keeping an eye on the dollar. And the answer, I think, is no at the moment, because to me, the dollar versus, you know, uh, all I, I guess across the G7, mm-hmm. very range bound, right? Mm-hmm. Not not threatening a upside commodity derailing rally in the dollar doesn't look like that at all. Every time, in fact, the dollar picks its head up, it gets smacked back down a half a big figure or so and stays there. So while the dollar to me is bottled up in a range, I've got an eye on it like you, but I still, for, for whatever reason, I still have a downward bias in the dollar. And if I don't get too caught up in you know, short covering rallies, I find that that's the right idea to have. And and so if the dollar is not going to kill us on the upside, we can continue to stay with this, with, with the upside of the commodity trade. That's how I think. Yeah. And we have Frank asking, what do you think about pipeline stocks, uh, WMB or MLPs in general? I'm not an expert on those. I generally really stick to my E&P refinery and oil services knitting, to be honest with you, just because that's how I was trained. Mm-hmm. But I think that that space probably makes sense. I think that, you know, over time, these these stocks are going to come out of, you know, the, the sort of trading doldrum that they're in where they can't always get up and rally. They have fits and starts. But we are raising the price of exploring for and drilling for oil, and we still have tremendous dependence on it. So when I look around the S&P for value trades, I, you know, I continue to land in the energy patch, you know, on yeah. a lot of these natural gas producers that, you know, if you look at them earnings wise or, or nominally, you know, they've been trading much higher multiples in the past and they're a very tiny percentage of the S&P right now. So for me, that's really the value play on, on a grand scale. 
playing these from the long side. And then the value play on the future scale where, you know, or, you, you know, in my opinion, we're going to have a lot of struggles meeting these carbon emissions deadlines. And that's only going to be more bullish for the existing price of fossil fuels. Yeah. So and not, not to respond on those two stocks in particular, but again, to go back to what you're saying, that even if we disappoint on the economic growth recovery demand side, you've got this other sort of underpinning of this of this shift uh, from a policy point of view um, on the green agenda or no matter who's in office. This is happening globally. That may help support in some ways, which is kind of interesting and, you know, gives you gives you a balance there. Um Exactly uh, right. Yeah. No, Maggie, you nailed it. You know, what we've got right now all across the commodity sector is policy risk, right? If right. you're going to clamp down on the price of energy and the price of carbon emissions across pulling out commodities from the ground, you've right. got policy risk in every commodity right now. Except that I think people think it's straightforward and they're not factoring in that in the transition, you will need those. Not everyone. You know, ultimately, you, you've got to you, you can end up with the people who are also investing it in the green future but for the meat in in the transition it's not like that right you need all of those to get where you're going so i think that's sometimes lost in the conversation it's gonna Um, be a long time before we're plugging our cars in yeah (laughs) exactly Uh, with the pace we're going which uh, many of our you know viewers have commented on and we've known this forever um so uh, another question i think is a great one we know this this is a big area of interest uranium where do you think uranium prices will go that's a real crystal ball question, but you know, how are you positioning around this? Is maybe no, it's okay. I'm used to crystal ball questions, right? <laughs> Make us money, Tony. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, a uranium is another, another. You know, so it's a glaring opportunity. It's a new disco ball right out there. It's still early enough in this trade that it feels like if you latch on to something at these levels, six months to a year from now, you're probably going to be glad you did. It could be a really rocky ride along the way. Right. We've got, we're, we're now in a positive feedback loop of Sprott Uranium Trust, right? That's taking up all the oxygen in the uranium conversation. Sprott's a very clever player in this market. So he's figured out how to create this positive flywheel around uranium. What he's essentially done is created a new con- uranium consumer slash competitor in the markets because this competitor can buy the price of uranium ahead of, say, an end user utility. And this player can also store uranium if he wants to. So this is a really relevant animal that Sprott has created. And do you have when to have you, a view about the the you know the, the the nuclear business though for that to ultimately work out? Yeah, and you have to have a view that it's gonna you know it's gonna be necessary to lean on you know uranium produced power at some level. You have to have a view that we're gonna continue to run into these rolling shortages, um, you know, by means of trying to keep up with. Um, you know, carbon emission mandates. And so if you have that view, then you look at this alternate source and say, they're going to have to come after this at some point. You know, that's really that's really what got the trade going. It's like, oh, okay, we're burning all this natural gas. As natural gas goes through $5, you know, powerhouses that are looking to say, okay, what can we switch to? What can we burn instead of $5 natural gas? Mm-hmm. You know, uranium comes into play and that can source us some power from there. But, you know, I don't think that the utilities really plan to have this, you know, uranium eating monster in their market, which is what Sprott created. Every new dollar invested, they want a piece of physical uranium. Right. And so they're pushing the cost away from. Yeah, I think we're through forty three dollars a pound now. Um, You know, at some point there will be, you know, we'll we'll find a price where we find supply and, you know, all of this trade will come back to earth. And that's really what I'm waiting for right now to put the most. Yeah, the level that you're looking at that makes you like 
feel like it's going to feel toppy or not you just too or too early to tell what, what are you looking at oh, not toppy i'm kind of you know the way this thing ran there's so many gaps on the downside of the chart maggie that if right. you, you know if, if you say okay one or two or three of these gaps are going to get filled why don't i just bid there on weakness and see if i can you know engineer my way into a decent risk reward on on a pullback i think that's how you've got to play it right it, uranium yeah. is as toxic as it sounds you know that it's it really is you know what i mean from you know from the ura you know for example ura has gone from 18 to 28 in a total of about two weeks right percentage wise if you've got money in that trade man i mean your heart's pounding so yeah. hey let's talk about another trade as we wrap up where your heart's pounding so we know that you, you went long bitcoin when we talked last week um and it's been it's been it's been a it's been a rough week it's been well it's been an active week let's put it that way i mean depending um, so, you know, how are you feeling today? And, and um, Rick P is asking, uh, he's a subscriber. Monday, you listed XBT as your crypto exposure to Bitcoin. Today, that shifted to coin on your view matrix. Why the switch? Oh, that switch may have been a uh, that might have been an error if that switched on the view matrix, because I did replace Bitcoin with uh, did replace the Coinbase IPO with Bitcoin. And I'll talk to him separately about that if I did make that mistake clerically. But I'm still very much, you know, I'm comfortable in the Bitcoin trade. Um, I, you know, I, I needed to wait for some kind of a pullback. I feel like I got it. Um, you know, it hasn't done much, in my opinion, really, since it's kind of been 44 bit at 48 since I've gotten into it. Um, you know, it, 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 it feels like it's doing the right things. You know, the more the, the more uptake you see to me, the better the story the, the more positive headlines that come out of the NFT space is, you know, add to the story as long as Ethereum is staying on its feet and, and people still care. You know, that's really all I need to hear to stay in this trade and have the price, you know, agree with me. It doesn't have to be, you know, one of those things that I get into and, and just goes off and explodes, you know, right from the get go. And I'm just trying to figure out how it fits into the macro markets right now, Matt. You know, that's really I'm this is uh, as much of a learning experience Bitcoin position for me as I've ever had. Right. Like, I feel like I'm trading oil in 1992 and, you know, I'm just getting my feet wet and understanding what makes it move and what's going to hurt me. And so I'm really trying to overlay my macro strategy into this world and see if I can get into it at a good price. And if it continues to be the uh, outrageous inflation hedge that it's been and much better than some traditional ones. So. You know, it's an experiment, but it's kind of the way that you, you the only way that you can figure a trade out and, and to figure out if it's right is to be in and have the position on. So that's Absolutely. what I'm talking about. And I feel like a lot of people are, are right there, too. So um, we're going to always keep checking in on that and, um, and you know, and hear what you have to say, especially this is where it's great to get all that past trading experience layered on, you know, which which yeah. not all of us have. So yeah, Tony, first, always go ahead. Wait, hold on. The, best, the most important headline for me is that Steve Cohen just I know. <laughs> you know, in a quant type of, of, you know, cryptocurrency trading platform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that for, for a trader that's been following Steve Cohen and Point72 and covering them as a salesman for years and years and years, um, you know, that guy is skating to where the puck is going. And I, I don't want to miss out if he's skating there in a very specific direction. Like, I've got to figure out how to get in that wake with him and, and work my way into the cryptocurrency world. 
So I just wanted to add that because that was an important headline that I just saw Absolutely. today. Absolutely. And so well put. And I feel like when you see, you know, you're going to see headlines out of Washington all the time. And anytime I, you know, Gary Gensler is going to be in the news every day talking about this stuff. And they're going to be issues until something happens in Washington. It's like, call us because there's so much noise that comes out of that town every single day. But when you see something like Stevie Cohen, I agree that that sort of rises above. It was super interesting to see that today. Um, so yeah, great money stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. even client money. Well, he's got to be he's got to be doing well with something. Right. Because the Mets have been a little bit difficult. Sorry, Met fans. But um, yeah. that's been frustrating, frustrating for him. So <laughs> no, no doubt he's moving into the crypto space. Um, Tony, always great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. We covered a huge amount of ground today. So grateful and really good to get through those questions. So fantastic to see you. We will see great you again here. soon. Thanks so much. This is it for Daily Brief. The conversation will continue on the exchange. Take good care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.